everyone, I'm your host Brandon Kyle Goodman and welcome to Black Folks. On this show, I have the honor of talking to black people of various identities about our lives and how being black has shaped our experiences. Today, I am so excited to share a conversation with actor, writer, and one of my dear friends, Chinaza Uche, who is currently on the Apple TV series Dickinson and Little America. We talked about black anger, what it means to feel beautiful, and Chinaza tells us a story about accidentally being locked in a convenience store. Trigger warning, we get all up in our feelings on this one and share some really personal and traumatic stories. So please take care of yourself as you listen. Without any further ado, here is my conversation with Chinaza Uche. Hey, Chinaza. Hey, B. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, baby. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You're good. Yes. You're saying that 15 times. I get it. It's a... It's a small word, but a big word. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I overstand. Yes, yes, yes. For everyone watching this now or listening, we are recording this a day after the presidential debate or two days after. So this is a, a, you know, it's a week. But... yeah. We're going to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start this as always with you introducing yourself. Uh, Tell us anything you want us to know about you. Uh, And if you could start with your pronouns, that would be amazing. Cool. My pronouns are he, him. My name is Chinaza Uche. I'm a actor, writer, producer, mover, prayer, wisher, sometimes singer, Holder hey, of hands, hey, freer hey, of hearts. Hey, I hey. went to school with B. Goodman. Yes, we yes. went to NYU together. And Chinaza yes. and I, Chinaza is one of those people that like, uh, we don't talk every day, but mm-hmm. you better believe when we talk, we like go down yeah. into the, the depths of our hearts and spirits. And so I'm so happy that you're here. Yeah. So, I'm going to start this off by asking you a little black folks question, and then okay. I'll ask you a big black folks question. <laughs> okay. Yeah? Yes, let's go. So, so the little black folks question today is, yeah. what is your favorite black meal? Oh, look, I want, I love fried chicken and I love sweet potatoes, mashed, mm. butter, cornbread. Um, but then black meals are so diverse because I also like... Straight up um, Nigerian soups, mm. like egusi soup. I don't even know what's, what's in. Soup? I don't even know. It's Dang. just yellow and black and delicious. You get the what's little. What's the gar- base? Is it a bean? I don't know much about soups. Look, man, uh, I don't know. I go home and I eat it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Will you spell it for us? Because we're gonna caption this. Spell I think it for it's us. E G U S I E G U E G W U S I. One of those. It's you know wow. it. Dang, you you know even- it. Or or the Senegalese um, peanut soup. The Senegalese make some kind of peanut soup that's delicious. Okay. Wait, Judith, will you find out what's in a goosey soup so I can help my brother Yes, please help me. (laughs) My parents are going to be proud. 
Like, finally, <laughs> you had to go on a podcast to learn what a kisu soup is made of. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to hook you up. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. My favorite black meal, whenever I think about, like, my favorite black meal, um, I think about my grandmother's barbecue chicken, and I don't know what she did to mm-hmm. it or with it, but never has there been a sweeter barbecue. Uh, yeah. And it was always, uh, she would only do wings. Like, mm. so she would buy, she would do like a tray of wings mm. and then she would make a vegetable rice, mm. which was like, I know it had like soy sauce in it and like, you know, like the, the frozen medley of, of vegetables. Mm. Uh, so it was like, it ended up being like a, like looking like a brown rice, but it was white rice and oof, I, it's like one of my biggest regrets. You know, mm. as a kid, you don't realize how valuable your grandparents are. As an adult, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so, like, the knowledge and the wisdom that I was around and had no concept <sighs> of. Yeah. Um, so I wish I could ask her how to make it, but, uh, yeah. you know. Do you know, Ooh. we're going to trade uh, recipes. I'm about I'm, to tell you what your, what your goosey is, soup what is. is. Tell me what it is. Um, let's see. Uh, ground. I'm going to fact check it with my mom, so <laughs> okay, be do, prepared. Do it. It's spelled E-G-U-S-I. Mm. Okay. Uh, and it's a seed, a goosey seed. Come on now. Uh, gives the soup a unique <laughs> color and flavor. Yes. And you could substitute it with a pumpkin seed. Why? If you don't have it. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just reading what no, they said. No, that's awesome. Me. I'm glad that you're spreading out the gospel of a goosey. Absolutely. Yes. It also says uh, you can add like crab and shrimp and smoked yeah. fish. Yeah. Ooh, drained smoked oysters and yeah. chicken can be. Ooh, look at you. <laughs> we have to have a meal whenever the world is a world. Yes, we'll have a meal. Yes. Are you ready for the big black folks question? Give it to me. Okay, the big black folks question, and I'm excited to ask you this because I feel like we've had some conversations. Hold on for a second. I the way the this sunlight, sunlight hit me, the now. way this sunlight is oh, hitting man. you. No, tell me more. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my. The skin, the, oh. the chocolate. Oof. Hey. Where were it's we? Good. I gotta stay it's right good. there. I got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> the way that skin is glistening, oh, I got distracted. Yeah. Oh boom! Look yeah, what's you. up? What's going on? <laughs> what's your big black question? I can't. Please lean back. You're too close to the camera. Please lean back. Um, what's my big black folks question? Oh, did you see my camera is now shaky? See, you fucked. My camera was like, oh, he's too cute. I can't. <laughs> It'll come back into focus. Yeah. Uh, my big black box question today is, do you remember the first time or when's the first time you felt beautiful? Mm. That's a big question. Now, li- now, listen, how many times did I say it was a big black folks question? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a hard question. When's the first time... I mean, what, I mean, the first thing, I mean, that question hit me. Ooh, tell me what hit you about it. Well, I mean, I just haven't, you know, something about the word beautiful with myself, first of all. Oof. And being like, <sighs> um, I know I have felt beautiful. 
I know I have felt that. I cannot tell you the first time. First thing that comes to my mind is that I've seen photos of like my birthday at three years old or something. Mm-hmm. And I see what my parents did for me. Mm. And uh, that's the... Do you know what, B? How dare you? <laughs> Look, it's 45 <laughs> seconds in. When was the la- first time you felt beautiful? How dare you? What kind of bullshit is this? Got me choking up. Oh my god. Chanaza. Okay. Chanaza, explain the photo. Tell me what the fo- so the photo no, you're 3 years I'm just old. About, I just remember a photo of me being 3 years old I think in Nigeria. I have mm-hmm. like a little cute outfit people around me and I just I think that's what I thought of. I was like, yeah, they really I imagine I felt beautiful that day. Mm. I imagine cuz beautiful is also like what does that word mean? And I think it's like loved, celebrated, mm. um, seen, accepted. And I think that's probably the first time that I don't remember, but I've seen photos and the kid looks pretty happy in them. <sighs> hmm. Okay. Are you going to answer it now? <laughs> you're so rude <laughs> you're so rude oh my god um, I will I will answer but then I'm gonna come back to you so okay. I'm not done with you okay. um, the first time that I felt beautiful and I will say for me that is also a complicated word which is why I said it because I think I've been called handsome like my mother you're so right. handsome you're so handsome right. but I, I don't know for you but for me beautiful was different than handsome. Yeah. Like handsome was like, I'm going to try and explain this or the best way I can. I think this is the first time I'm actually talking about it like this, which is that handsome felt like um, expected or, or a given. Mm-hmm. Like everybody is handsome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And beautiful felt like really specific. Yeah. And I think it was always related to I'll say for me, you know, whatever I was seeing on TV or in magazines or, you know, just the way like walking down the street with friends or with your parents and like somebody walks by and everyone goes, they're beautiful. Oh, Mm -hmm. she's beautiful. Oh, he's beautiful. And I never, I never saw myself like that, Mm -hmm. um, but always wanted to. and had to, I'm actually wearing a shirt that says, uh, you were brainwashed into thinking uh, European features are the epitome of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really important inside of that conversation because I mm-hmm. think beauty was also tied to European features mm-hmm. and not not tied to like my, my, my beautiful big nose and my <laughs> beautiful big lips uh, and my chocolate skin. I think the first time I felt beautiful uh, was, I'm going to say probably somewhere in my 20s. I can't pinpoint it, but I'm going to say it wasn't until 
25, 26, mm-hmm. maybe I started to have that conversation, which mm-hmm. is a lot of years to not feel attractive or beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was the case because around 21, I've talked about this before, I went to therapy and I told my therapist that no matter how attractive I was, I'd never be as attractive as a white man. And my white therapist at NYU looked at me with fucking horror. And I was like, oh, that's, oh, that is fucked up. That's a fucked yeah. up thing to say. And so I had to go on my journey to like decolonize my my <sighs> um, my conditioning and my thinking. And so I think around somewhere in my mid-20s was when I started to be like, okay, no, I, I'm beautiful. But I don't remember like the exact moment. Yeah. I just know that there was a shift in the way that I saw myself Mm-hmm. in photos or in headshots. I had an afro at the time. So yeah, it was mid-20s. Yeah. It makes... Um, yeah, that makes sense. And circling back to your statement around the word handsome mm-hmm. and how, like, I'll speak for myself, but there was, like, I'm just agreeing that there was an expectation or an idea that was expected. It felt very gendered in a way right yes Mm -hmm. so the idea of someone calling you beautiful would feel like no i'm trying to say something specific it's beyond this word and the idea of having that feeling is beyond the ideas of how a male presenting person is supposed to be it's about something beyond that yes you know yeah it's beyond like Girls are girls are pretty and beautiful. Boys are handsome yeah. and hot. It was. It's beyond that. It's it's this like, yeah. I don't know. It, it's the beauties in the eye of the beholder. It's I don't know. It's it's a, it's that language and and right. It just mm. it just never felt like it fit what I wanted it to fit. And it wasn't right. about like being pretty like right. the girls. It was really just like being valued. I think is ultimately what it was about, like being valued in my body and with this face and with my style and with how I speak. And, and for me, you know, you know, I'm as a kid, even more obviously like very femme and just wanting all of that to be considered uh, Mm -hmm. a value Mm -hmm. ultimately. Yeah. I guess that's what being beautiful really is. Is like, the question is like, really when, when's the first time you felt valued <laughs> right like and also the it's like internally too did you yes. value yourself yes and yep yeah. yep yeah. i and to me it's also that's connected to accepting who you are as an individual and i don't know when that happened for me that probably was in the mid to late 20s when i started being like the way i say things the way i do things the way i carry myself that is a value. It's not mm. on the way to something else. I'm not halfway this person. I'm like, this specific thing that I do is a value. And that's yes. hard. That's just hard. <laughs> you know, I think it's what hard. What makes that hard um, to you? Well, one thing that made it hard, right, is that we were pursuing acting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love that we could just we could just (laughs) laugh. 
Oh my god. It is a white, white world. Right. Uh, all it's your a white, white world. All your examples, all your heroes, all your whatever. They didn't always look like you, especially in school, the ones that you were presented with. Right. Um, so yeah, so that was part of it. And then also like society has so many expectations on every single one of us. Mm. And I think being a black male identifying person, there's like all kinds of things that you're supposed to be, you're not supposed to be, blah, 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 that being at peace with yourself is like a very complicated thing. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. What were some of the expectations you feel like society had on you? Huh. Well, that's a hard one, but I think <clears throat> just really try and parse through it. Yeah, I think, you know, like, well, specific to, okay, well, when I was in high school, for example, my, my parents, like we immigrated here when I was 14. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, shoved into this world of like, there being a very specific idea, at least in the town that I grew up of what being black was and what being a what black. What town did you grow up in? West Sorry. Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. And being a black man in that town. And also there was so few of us <laughs> in the school. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, uh, I went to a couple of proms around Connecticut. And this is not just like shit on Connecticut time, but... Even at that time, I would go to a prom in a real small town. There'd be one black kid, and he'd go out, and he'd be like, bop, ba da ba bop, And he'd have a full, like, full cane and hat, and it'd be great. But I'd be like, and there'd be a bunch of white people being like, yeah, yes! And I was oh, like, God, God oh, damn. God. I hope yeah. he's doing this for himself. Ooh. Um, but at that age... Are you? Don't you don't know. even know. Because you don't even know. I feel like at that age, you don't even... I didn't yeah. know what performance was. Performative yeah. blackness was. Right? Yeah. Because I think it's, it's a human emotion to want to fit in. Yep. It's a human emotion to want to be accepted. But there is this other layer of being a black person inside of a white space trying yeah. to do that. And what tools you use to be accepted, which oftentimes is being the life of the party, being the comic relief. I mean, all the things we see as actors, which are the the roles that we play, which I imagine there's a cycle there, right? Like if all you're seeing on TV is that black people are in service to white people and entertain them, then that's what you kind of repeat as, right. a, as a teenager. You repeat, right. oh, this is my whether you're conscious about it or not, like this is my position. This is how I get right. white people to like me. Right. I make them laugh. I, I come in, I right. shuck, I jive, I dance. And there's no consciousness of 
if you are a willing participant in that, <laughs> uh, and what, if anything, are you compromising by doing that? Right. Um, what box you may or may not be putting yourself in. There's just not, at that age, at least for me, there wasn't a critical thinking. There wasn't a critical awareness of what it means for me to be dancing in the middle of a sea of white people yeah. <laughs> at prom. Yeah. yeah. Just to be clear, I, I jumped in too to, you know, keep him company. So. Oh, good. <laughs> good for you. I, I'm not actually sure if I. <laughs> don't leave the brother hanging you know i gotta you know <laughs> bah, bah. you know it's crazy it's weird and i think for me like so i was born in edinburgh scotland mm -hmm. i was there only for a year spent two years in nigeria till i was three spent three to 14 in london england <laughs> then i came to the states at 14 to connecticut and that was a culture shock and one of the first things i remembered I've thought about a lot is, you know, like I wasn't black, definitely in the same way. And I wasn't black in England, but mm. the reason I wasn't was because the spaces that I were in were mostly Pakistani and Bangladeshi and the white people were the minority. So we didn't really have the same discourse when I was a kid there. Right. Okay. Yes. So that was an interesting thing to go from that to a pretty predominantly white space at 14 years old. Oof. And then also the weird thing about England was that you weren't, at least in my memory, as in my childhood, you weren't talking about race the same way. But then like my family was in a terrorist attack where they dropped, we were all fine. Yeah. But they released bombs with nails in them in a, in a market in Brixton. And my family was there and it was done because it was a black neighborhood so it was weird to Oof. so you know that colonialism white supremacy definitely still existed right so right it, so this is all a lead up to say coming to the states at 14 and trying to figure out what being a black person was was all kinds of confusion sure all kinds of ideas uh and in a way, ideas that I didn't even know the narrative of, because I had a separate narrative that was, oh. you know, and the British one was still confusing and dangerous. And then come to this one, you're like, what the hell is going on here? Right, right, right. So, yeah. At 14, what, what did you, and I'm sure, I'm not going to say I'm sure, I feel like at 14, did you have an awareness of trying to figure out what it meant to be black at the time? I think I did because <laughs> my memory is so bad, but I remember that before I went to high school, I asked my parents to buy me this jersey, uh -huh. it was like a football jersey and it had like a rhino on it. And I think my parents just didn't have that much money at that time. You know, like my dad right. was a research scientist. He's making no money. It was me and him <clears throat> in Connecticut for one year, the rest of my siblings, we were my mother in England. So we were like across continents trying right. to take care of all these children. So this is a long way of saying, I think he got me a cheap Jersey, but I didn't even know the teams, but so, so, but in my head, in some way I was like a Jersey. Yeah. That's yes. what I need. So even yes. by then I was like, yeah. And then I have a memory of going to school and people being like, what are you wearing? <laughs> like what is, <laughs> what is this? 
So I have a sense of being like, I have an idea and also not knowing what the idea was or where it came sure. from um, and feeling failing at that, at least in the early years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of high school for me was jumping around between different social groups trying to figure out, which I think is for a lot of kids, but like, where do I fit in? How do I work in this space? And I have no idea how many different things I must have done to make other people accept me. Oof. Do you remember the first time that you fit in? Do you know what? I was very lucky that, like, my junior year of, of high school, I got into an arts academy. Uh-huh. And I got to go there half day. And that was the first time, like, I, I, I say, I've said it before that I think, like, that place saved my life because it was more diverse. And I was like, oh. And it was, a like, you know, it was about expression, and the professors, mm. like, maybe they didn't have shoes on. And you were like, what the fuck is... <laughs> <laughs> but even that, you were like, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. no shoes. Yeah. And, but it, it makes me think of, like, I remember... And I had this in college, too. There's also something about black anger that is so strange. Because in high school, there's, like, one time I threw a chair. And people were like, yeah. And uh, that was confusing. Because in some ways I was like, my in England I was kind of a rough kid, got into a lot of fights, and I kind of felt a lot of shame about that. But then I got positive reinforcement for releasing like these things, and I was even to this, mm. you know, it's mm -hmm. yeah. And I feel like in yes. college, yeah. Go ahead, no, go ahead, please. No, no, I was gonna say it's that thing where I feel like in acting school where. <laughs> Okay. 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 Black anger. A thing in acting school where they want you to do the scene and you do the scene and they don't like it. But the moment you scream and you give them black uh, anger, yeah. <laughs> then they're like, yes, yes, that's it. That's what we want. And I yeah. feel like that is, um, in some ways, it's the black anger is what gets us in trouble. Mm -hmm. What uh, threatens our lives is the black anger. And then at the same time, it is also the thing that gets praised because it's the expectation. Yeah. For those of us who are in these schools where we're the only black person or one of the only black people, there's yeah. a value uh, placed on our anger. Uh, there Maybe it's because there's a controlled, I'm putting this in quotes, a controlled danger. Yeah. Um, I think about Dangerous Minds, Michelle Pfeiffer. I feel like everybody wants to like save. Yeah. <laughs> or like yeah, wants totally. that, like that white savior story and your black anger gives them that because if Chinaza throws a chair in his sophomore year and I'm invested in him and now his senior year, he's sweet as pie, I saved Chinaza. And that's a narrative that I think white people unknowingly, some of them, uh, like love yeah they appreciate um which is confusing for yeah for us as the <laughs> as the and, and that confusion right i mean i can't help but think about this and we don't have to but it, it's confusing today even at this age mm. because sometimes it does feel that 
black anger is the thing that people hear sometimes mm. but then they hear it, it and I, it doesn't feel that different from acting school in a strange way sometimes Tell me more. As, as in like i mean the simplest way is like oh the situation of black people in this country is tough okay if i scream at you go oh my god i believe you oh my god i can see your pain now i have a way in and that's not that different from what was happening in in high school or college yes yes. and it never acknowledges whatever the actual reality it's about if i can get it to you if i can like pour out my you know (laughs) it's like white people have to like okay uh you, you know me, I'm trying to figure out how to say these things. So, uh, um, similar to what you just said, there is, you know, especially kind of being in the wake of these last few months on social media mm-hmm. and videos and tweets and, 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 and whatever else of, of black activists and educators and, and influencers, you know, speaking out, there is this thing where um, if somebody is not emoting, if somebody is not plugged in uh white people think that there's nothing happening right and that's that's the danger is that uh the black people who are rightfully so uh yes. keeping themselves safe by compartmentalizing uh and to a certain extent numbing right so they can show up and do what the fuck they have to do and so there isn't a lot of anger being shown or a lot of pain being shown. White people then think, oh, well, then it doesn't exist. As opposed to taking in the full context of what's happening and understanding that the quietest person is quite possibly sometimes in the most pain. Yeah. But just because it doesn't look like it doesn't mean you shouldn't believe that they are. Right. And there is this dangerous line of, I think, Black people having to uh, give a lot of passion, which then uh, gets translated as anger, which then easily gets translated as threatening. And you're kind of like walking this line of showing enough emotion so that you believe me without going too far that you shoot me. (sighs) Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me. A hundred percent. And that, I mean, if anything, I'm, I have never thought of this and I don't even know if I, but that, it makes me go that every black person should have gone to acting school. <laughs> I think black people I've been saying are the best actors. I think every yeah. black person that you come in contact with is an incredible actor. Yeah. Uh, because there is a level of, it's a survival tactic, yeah. right? To like act like you're fine or to be able to channel. Because, I mean, if you if we were to really, if, if you and I were to really sit here mm-hmm. and like unpack every headline, right? And we were to not just unpack the headline, but then unpack the lives that those people led. The lives that the life that Breonna Taylor led, and then sat here and went through Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Tony McDade and Dominique Fells and 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 the level of rage 
that would overcome us understandably, but it would be, it would be, uh, uh, there's not really a word for it. I'm going to say an epic, uh, and, but I don't think there, I don't think there's, um, language in the, in the dictionary to describe the level of rage that would overtake us and black people. If we were to really plug all the way in into like the depths of what this shit is, Which makes us incredible actors. <laughs> and I don't mean us as like actors as career, yeah. but just as black people. Like we, I, I, there's, I, I don't know. There's a, yeah. there's a, there's a survival and there's a, there's a, a level of like, I have to pretend like this doesn't exist right now. Yeah. Suspension of disbelief has to take place right now in order for us to survive. Um, in this moment and the dexterity that's the mm. i mean like the ability to just bop 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 i mean i feel like how many times i find myself in a conversation where before i say the next thing i have to think 10 15 things if anything you know Oof. i haven't thought of this before i love the game of chess and maybe yeah. that's just another thing where you practice that survival skill of like okay if i say this this is going to happen. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. This is going to happen. Right. That's going to happen. Right. This is going to happen. You have to play out the scenario. Yeah. And the the rap the the, the pace, the rapidity that Ooh. people we have to do that. Yes. Is uh there should be some metal. There should be some something. It's or a, it should it, be it, stopped. <laughs> or it should be I mean ultimately it should be stopped, but it's right. like there is a lack of awareness. I think for obviously white people, but I also feel like as a black person, it hasn't been until recently, and I think this mm-hmm. is happening for a lot of black people where you're like, oh shit, the amount of, like, it's it's an Olympics, the mental yeah. aerobics, the mental Olympics that we go, go through, because we've been doing it for so long, since you landed, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I can't remember, I think the first race conversation I had was around age six or something, right? Mm-hmm. So since that time, I've learned how, I've learned... Like, I don't even reach for my hoodie after a certain hour. And I don't think about that but because it's now ingrained. But mm-hmm. that is part of the mental Olympics, which is like, oh, right. I'm going outside to walk my dog. We're living close to the hills. It's dark outside. I should wear a bright color mm-hmm. if I'm going to do that. I shouldn't. Or if I'm going to wear my hoodie, my hoodie has to be down. Well, do you remember? And you don't have to tell this story. Oh, God. But if you can, because I think that this was your mental Olympics. You remember when you got locked in that store? Do you mind telling that story? I can cut it if you don't. No, no. I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Um, Yeah, I do. My memory also works very weird. And at some points, I wonder how many things have I blocked out? You know what I mean? That you just got to file away, you know? So many. So many. But with that one, I it shook me up obviously so much that I wrote it down and I reread the email recently in the midst of all this, you know, just to be like, and just to, so for anyone who's watching, simply what happened was that I walked into a Walgreens to buy like dish detergent or cleaning supplies. The The gate was like half down when I walked in, but people were still in there. Customers were still checking out. I went to the back, looked in the cleaning supply thing and when I like turned around, 
the person was the worker. I don't know. Maybe I have my headphones on. I don't know. I was a kid, like 20 something. Yeah. Um, the worker was locking the gate from the other side. So I like run up, but they have headphones. I remember that. They can't hear me or see me. And I just watch the gate shut. And I'm like locked inside of this Walgreens. And then what happened was just like what you're talking about. I started just doing things, doing things. I think the first thing I did was I like, I just took all the stuff I was going to buy. I put it somewhere else, moved away from it. The things I concretely remember doing were, I know I called the cops to be like, I'm inside of the store and they asked me a bunch of questions. Uh, okay. Then I went to the, to the, the security camera, emptied all my pockets, um, put my hands up, spoke to the camera. I don't have a weapon. I'm not committing a crime. Um, I, I like tried to find ways out, couldn't. And I think my phone was dying. So I charged my phone and like, maybe that's when I called the cops and I called the cops and I'm talking to the cops and I'm like, da, 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 leave it. And then I just wait. And it was just like, I was absolutely terrified. Oh, I pour out my backpack too, make sure there's nothing in there. Um, and then long story short, the cops come who I've talked to and I've told them that uh, I'm locked inside. And I just think for a moment, I'm like, okay, everything's gonna be fine. I'm literally like writing on paper because my phone is dead, giving them instructions. They're like, go to the other door. It's locked. Oh, okay, da, 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 da. And then they open the door and next thing I know, I've got a gun in my face. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? But it really wasn't, wait, what? It was, huh, all those behaviors you did that really made no sense, you're locked in the store. Why are you emptying your pockets? Why are you emptying your backpack? Why are you putting all the stuff you bought away from you? Why are you like, whatever? All of that was correct. Because mm -hmm. somehow in my mind, I was like, why am I talking? And I remember this, and I was about this recently. I was telling the camera, and I think it was just so, these are very emotional times, but it was just so like, if anyone, if anything did happen to me, there'd be proof mm -hmm. that I didn't do anything wrong. And that's where I was. I was like, my mom will know that. Yeah. So <clears throat> that is a weird story list of things to have to do and yeah. then they still put the gun in your face <laughs> and this is after i've been talking to these people through the window so they've seen my face they've yeah. seen my humanity whatever you want to call it at worst i'm stealing from a walgreens at worst why is there a gun in my face um so the gun's in my face they put they push me up against the wall they turn me around they searched my backpack, which was empty, and there was nothing in there. Anything in your backpack is empty. Um, they searched me, nothing in my pockets. And then they sent me on my way. And what I think is like crazy, I don't know how many years ago that was, and that's just on the list of experiences I've had. It's yeah. probably the worst one that I've had. Mm -hmm. um, but then I think about what... <clears throat> other black people have gone to gone through and that doesn't compare at all and it still sits with me every day of course so, so i try to imagine i don't try to imagine but i i feel for 
any person who has to go through anything like that or worse. And there are yeah. so many people who are going through worse. Back in the old New York days, you just see, you know, a young kid frisked on, on the subway platform and you just know it's mentally and emotionally embarrassing and hurtful. Yeah. And there is a crowd of people and no one's doing anything and you are just being embarrassed and that stays with you so yeah yeah, yeah. you I, I remember what's interesting is i remember you telling me that story however many years ago i think it had like just happened and this is what i mean about um black people being amazing actors because you weren't impact like you didn't seem affected Mm-hmm. I knew, I knew, obviously I knew you were affected, but you were, you were telling it like a great story <laughs> because I think that that's part of the mental aerobics. Cause if you were to really sit down, um, and unpack what that experience was, and then also compare that, like, if it were a white man or a white woman, they would have, you know, broken down the doors, <laughs> lifted them up. <laughs> In their arms, <laughs> walk them. Out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it would have been. Would have been a different like, what ex- took you guys so long? I've been <laughs> in this store. I've been I here <laughs> for five minutes. Locked in. <laughs> like, it would have been a different exchange, and I yeah. think that I, I also feel like that's what's been happening the last few months of us remembering and recalling these experiences that we filed away. That you're like, oh, this shouldn't have happened. Right this shouldn't have gone down like that. If I'm locked in a store, I shouldn't have to worry about if they're going to think that I was stealing. I'm the victim. I got locked in a fucking store. (laughs) Like I and should, a Walgreens. And a Walgreens. That's not a good I, store. <laughs> There's so many better stores. You're like, it's a fucking drugstore. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, if I'm locked in a Tiffany's, we could talk. talk. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm locked in a Walgreens. You know, like all yeah. all of that stuff, and like what you're, and how you have to process so that you can go into to work or to class the next day, right? Right. There's not like a, wow, how um, traumatic that experience is. And I'm going to take some time off. That's not, that's not a grace that I believe you would have been given um, by anybody. Um, And that's not a grace that I believe that you would have thought you could take or you should take. Right. Even in your retelling, you're like, well, other people have had worse things. And it's like, yes, other people have had worse things, but like none of it should be happening. Right. And all of it takes a mental toll. I mean, for for me, and I won't bore you with my stories because I've no, already done them, but what what continues to come up is what's been very frustrating for me in the last a couple months has been trying to do my job and then a headline comes out and I can't do my job anymore because I'm past the point of being able to compartmentalize and numb. Mm -hmm. And like, that was such a tool that I relied on, right? Like every time you saw a headline, every time you heard something, every time you saw something, you numbed out and you kept pushing and I don't know how to do that anymore. So here I am, you know, writing on this TV show and doing whatever. (laughs) And it's like, then you listen to the president, you know, say, stand back and stand by. And suddenly it's like, 
people want to have meetings still. People want to talk. I'm like, right. what, what, what is it that you want to talk to me about? Right. Did y'all not hear what was just said on your television? Right. You know, when you hear that, you know, the, the murderers of Breonna Taylor are let off, you're like, or one gets charged for the shots that hit the wall. You're like, and, and y'all still want to have a general, like y'all still want right. to, y'all are still emailing me about some bullshit. I, it's really, um, the mental aerobics, as you say, black people deserve medals for, yeah. for what we have been able to, um, suppress in order to survive and dare yeah. I say thrive in some regards. Um, and it's, it's not right and it's not fair. Um, and I'm, I know it's not my fault or whatever, but I, but I am sorry that you had that experience. I, I don't know if that does anything, but it, I just want to say that that I'm really sorry that, um, that this is, this is the life. I appreciate that. You don't have to. Yeah. I, yeah. I appreciate that. And I love you. Yeah. I love you too. <laughs> yeah. I I, yeah. I know. Um, well, I'm going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh Lord. It's so wild because you're like, oh shit, like to keep from like really just like crying all the time. Right. You you, you do have to find a moment to laugh at yeah. the absurdity of it all. Right. I will also say I imagine, just to go back to what the original question is, I would imagine that an experience like what you had and all the experiences that you've had would contribute to not feeling beautiful to not feeling valued, right? Mm -hmm. Like like when I asked you, when's the first time you felt beautiful? We're like a couple seconds in and it was such a, uh, a visceral response for you. And I would imagine for a lot of us, and if you asked me the question, I would have responded no differently. It would have, it would have taken me a beat. But I imagine it's because of these moments that we've had in our life that are so etched into our psyche and etched into our spirits in which we didn't feel a value. And so it feels weird to say, Oh, I felt beautiful and I feel beautiful. And again, it's not beauty in like a superficial, like right. I'm on the cover of a magazine. Gorgeous. It's like, I, I am internally and externally. I am, I am of value and valued. Yeah. It's challenging to, to reach that when, um, you get locked in a store and the response is a gun to your head. It, it's hard to, it, it takes extra work to, to get to that, to say, despite how black people are being treated, despite how um, we are being discarded and, and, and not valued that I'm going to value myself. That's, right. That feels like such a, it's a hard bridge hard bridge to to build and to to cross for yeah. sure 
Yeah. There's a whole bunch of rewiring. Just a yes. bunch of rewiring. It is it is nothing but rewiring. <laughs> in, in a sense, it's like you almost got to like blow the whole thing up and like Truly. start fresh. It's like uh, I yeah. need to reincarnate in a, in a in a sense. I had a conversation with someone where you know, and I've heard phrases like this before, um, where they're like, "Yeah, everything I was taught about America." Uh, I now know is a lie. Mm. And, you know, it was an older gentleman. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to take you at your word. And I'm going to realize this is a very, if you really, if you are really taking that in, this is a big moment for you. Mm. I don't think, I don't think it should have taken all of this. Mm -hmm. But if you are genuinely having that moment, I'm hopeful for you. Mm. Um, I understand it's difficult for you too. And I'm trying to parse through where I put that. Yeah. Because this is a, I don't know how to describe this right. I don't want to talk about too much, but it's about, it's not about a black person. It's not about a person of color. It's an older person. And I'm like, I, I don't know how to process. I don't know how to process that because in some ways, none of this feels new to me, mm. but maybe you telling me that everything you've learned about America is a lie. I don't know if I've heard that before. Maybe there's some hope in that, but I also can't take care of you in that because I don't, I don't know what to do myself. Yeah. Period for years. Yeah. <laughs> but um I guess I say that because I'm realizing hopefully in my most hopeful moments, I'm like, oh, and I think this is what you you're sharing conversations for. The rewiring is universal. Mm. I think for me as a black person, I have to rewire, like you said, all the habits I've learned to survive mm. and try to remember that. I mean, like, that mental health isn't just about getting through. Um, Oof. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm trying to sit with that. Yeah, so that's all. It's everyone's yes. rewiring, I hope so. You know, you said uh, you had to figure out what being a black person was to you at f like fourteen when you were when you were in high school. Yeah. And so, I guess my question is, at your age now, thirties, mm -hmm. what is being black to you now? Or what does it mean to be a black person to you now? You know what? I was thinking about this. I had a lot of thoughts, but I think the first word at this moment in this country at this time <laughs> is responsibility. Mm. I do think there's a different responsibility right now. And part of that is also making sure that 
I can walk into rooms and say the things I need to say mm. that I can check that. Yes. Yeah, so I, I can just, I think about all the times I haven't said something and hope now that I will. Oh. And just feeling that. And then I was thinking the other day about like, was I born black? Right. Ooh, tell me, walk me through it. I was like, okay, black as we are existing. Look, let me, and I'm not, I'm, this is parsing it through in real time. Yes, yeah. Black in this, I was like, okay, was I born black, right? Because when I think about black in, in anything that's been colonial space, anything, there's so many connotations and ideas. And I was like, well, you start dance with the idea that like, no, 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 I was born a person. And then mm-hmm. the society has drawn these lines and now I'm proudly black. Yes. But then I went further to be like, well, if I was born black, what is blackness then? And I was like, loved, cared for, mm. Um, mm. all the regal, like important, yes. Yes. held. I was like, yes. if I was born black, that's what black is. Yes. And I see that in my family. I see that in my friends. I'm like, to carry, I maybe at this age, I am understanding more about why you, hey, Matt. <laughs> why you, my white husband. No, absolutely. <laughs> my white wife is somewhere. <laughs> but why you just got to pour love into a child. Mm. You just have to. So being black right now, I think, is also about sharing those things love care respect honor with other black people Mm. and hoping that they feel i have their back i see them yes you know like no matter what the world is saying being like that does not change the fact that you are of value and trying to hold myself accountable to make sure that i'm doing that and i'm sure i will fail i'm sure i have failed i will continue but there feels a, a sharper focus and clarity to be like, this will never be in question again. Back to your mm. question of being beautiful. This will never be in question again. Yes. If Oof. I can do that, yeah. So. I love that. What is it I for you? Thank what is you. it for me? What yeah. is being black for me? That's a great question because I've never thought about it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> huh. Um, what is being black for me? I think of my grandmother. Oof. Okay. I think of my grandmother. And my grandmother, you know, was born and raised in uh, in Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago, and then immigrated uh here in New York and 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 built a life for herself. Um but she was generous and kind and strong mm. and powerful and resilient and flawed and motivated and open and fiercely honest and ferociously loyal. And so I think 
for me, that that is what blackness. That's how I, uh, what being a black person is to me, or that's what I would like it to be. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm a really yeah. working towards. Yeah, that's yeah. a powerful list. Yeah, yeah. I love I, you so much. Oh wait, you. no. Tell me, what are you gonna say? Finish your sentence. No, I was just gonna no. say. I was just gonna say, I wish I had met her. But I guess I'm meeting her through you. Okay, Chanaza, you gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not going. You're not gonna have me cry on my own, <laughs> my own goddamn show. <laughs> oh, now I know. I should have. Okay, you just want me to come and cry. Fuck! I would have brought my. I would have brought uh, out photos. Uh, I would have got baby photos. Who do you rude, see in this? Rude. How dare you? <laughs> All the tricks. Well, yeah. I love you so much. Thank you for Thank you. being part of this. And yeah. I just love you. Yeah. Love you too. Thanks for having me. Stay yourself. <laughs> and stay, stay black. Yours. Stay black. Hell I yeah. love that. I'm put that on a shirt. Stay yes. black. 10%. Yeah. <laughs> oh <laughs> no <laughs> no <laughs> that was ha huh, thank you for that I also because your hands were here I was like he's fighting ha <laughs> I had to find the ha that would shut you down. <laughs> Took me a second, but I did find it. Yes, you did. <laughs> oh my I love God. you. Love you. This is great. That was ugh, I'm look at me. I'm flustered from that conversation. Uh, there was so, so, so much, and I, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. And now it's time for you know our BKG learning moments, where I'm just gonna tell you some of my my takeaways from that conversation with Chinaza. Uh, one of the first ones is that feeling beautiful really is about feeling valued and how those two things are so connected. Uh, as Chinaza said, you know, beautiful meaning being loved and celebrated, seen and accepted, and how human those emotions are, uh, and how often as Black people, we automatically don't receive that. It takes a lot. Um, I also think about in the uh, feeling beautiful and feeling valued and how these traumatic moments that happen in our lives, like being pulled over by the cops or microaggressions from, you know, a friend or a teacher, or as Chinaza told us the time he had a gun pulled on him when he was locked in a store, uh, how these things create obstacles and barriers in allowing us to feel valued and beautiful. Chinaza also pointed out that as Black people, we continuously have to do mental aerobics to survive the oppression we face on a daily basis. I also think about that story. That story, he told me that story, I think we might have still been in college or just out of college, and it stayed with me all these years later because I remember him walking me through all the things that he did in preparation for the arrival of the cops. 
And what is devastating is even with all those mental aerobics, um, there still was this, uh, I was going to say, you know, the worst case scenario, we don't even want to talk about what the worst case scenario could have been, but having a gun pulled out on you by people who are supposed to protect you is still awful. Uh, and so what are those mental aerobics for sometimes? It feels like that gets called into question. Um, with that, fully knowing that mental health is so much more than just getting by, you know, it, it's more than just getting through. Um, <laughs> I, I remember when we had Alex Newell on the show, they were saying, they sang uh, How I Got Over. <laughs> you know, it's more than just going through, it's going over, it's going under, and, and hopefully building um, a bridge in which we feel safe and i'm putting a question mark because i'm still i'm still uh sifting through what all of this means you know um the work that we as black people put in every day is so much and so unseen as we were talking about black people are truly the best actors all of us whether we are actually actors by career or not we all of us as we show up to work as we put smiles on our faces and we move through our days and we we survive and we thrive there's a lot of of mental aerobics and a lot of um intense acting happening I don't know if I have a point, honey. I just, <laughs> it's what I learned. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's so much. What about you guys? What did you learn? Of course, you know, I always want to hear what you have to say. So please leave comments when you rate, or you can email us at blackfolkspodcast at gmail.com. Remember that folks is spelled F-O-L-X. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I want to also thank Chanaza, obviously, for joining me today. It was an edifying and fun and complicated and emotional conversation. And I am just so grateful for his time. Now, to catch the video version of this conversation, head over to my IGTV page or my YouTube page at Brandon K. Good. Or you can head over to Tom Ellis's IGTV page at Official Tom Ellis. Also, if you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and comment on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. And you know we want to hear from you. So if you have a question, you want you want to get in touch with me, you want to discuss some stuff, you know, email me, blackfolkspodcast at gmail.com. That's spelled B-L-A-C-K-F-O-L-X podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And in case you haven't heard it yet today, I love you so much. Bye. Starbanks Avenue, a podcast network.